and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our wisdom series with a look at the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. Let's listen. What makes you afraid? I'll tell you, when I was a youth director, I would take high school students on international mission trips each and every summer. And one aspect of that, that every year I was afraid of, was losing a teenager. Now, I don't mean in-country, but I mean particularly in the airport or going through customs. I mean, the night before a trip, I would get no sleep. I would be tossing and turning and just feel like, I, I'm going to lose a kid when we're going from this airport to that airport tomorrow. And it was a really not fun experience. Now, mind you, that never actually happened. I never lost a student, but one time it came pretty close. And that time we were flying home. So we had spent the week in Belize, really uh, working hard and being with the people of Belize. And then on the way home, our flight out of Belize City was delayed by several hours. We were supposed to fly from Belize City to Miami, go through customs, and then fly over to Tampa, where we were living. But unfortunately, because of that delay, when we got to Miami, they said, I'm sorry, the last plane to Tampa has already gone, and so you're going to have to spend the night here in Miami. I just want you to imagine for a second that you have been on a mission trip with really no showers, sweaty, you're dirty, and mentally you have circled this date in your calendar, that's when I get to sleep in my own bed. That's when I get to have a warm shower. Can you imagine having to tell those students, I'm sorry, but we're not getting home tonight. We're spending one more night on this mission trip. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine. Because as I was sharing this bad news with a group of students, someone actually took a picture. And I found this picture, and I just had to show it to you this week. Let's go and show that picture. What an authentic look. What I love about this is we're in the Miami airport. We're surrounded by luggage. It's late. We've been traveling all day. And I tell them, you're not getting home tonight. And that is the look I get. And so this is when my fear begins to ratchet up just a little bit. Because I'm not getting these students home when I expected to get them home. No, our traveling is going to continue. So luckily, the airline put us up in a hotel adjacent to the airport. And they said, we have booked you a flight for 7.30 the next morning, which means that we need to meet in the hotel lobby at 5.30 a.m. It was chaos checking in late, getting them fed, getting them to their rooms. But the next morning, at 5.15 a.m., I'm waiting, you know, with my list of all students in the hotel lobby, checking them off, as they get onto the shuttle to take them back to the Miami airport. At 5.35 a.m., I realize I'm missing three people, two students and one college leader. So immediately, I go to the hotel lobby uh, desk and say, okay, these are the names of who we're missing. What rooms are they in? And that's when I learn that in the chaos of the night before, they did not assign us rooms by name, 
they assigned us rooms by group. We just had a block of rooms for all of these students under our group name. This is when the fear ratcheted up a little bit more. Because I'm having visions of having to call these students' parents saying, okay, we're, we missed another flight. We're, we're not going to get home when the rest of the group gets home. Now, I really, I believe that obviously we would find those students uh, once they maybe woke up on their own at 8 or 9 a.m. and kind of wandered into the lobby. We'd find them, but not in time to make that flight. Well, it, we ended up with a good solution. I grabbed a couple of leaders. I got the list of all of the rooms assigned to our group, and we began banging on doors. I think we woke up about half the hotel. I mean, it was 5.30 in the morning, but eventually we banged on the one room that they were staying in, and the college leader was like, oh, I, I forgot to set my alarm. I'm, I'm so sorry. We were able to rush to the airport and still make the flight. But the reason I share this story is I want you thinking about that feeling when you experience fear. And it's, it's not the fear always of seeing a, a snake or a spider where it's a real sudden reaction, but even that slow rising where you just begin to feel uncomfortable and you feel like, oh, I, I don't like this feeling. I don't like where this situation is headed. Now, we are doing this series. As you can see behind us, we've got the 40 days of wisdom and each week, we're trying to learn from the book of Proverbs what the Bible says about wisdom. And today, Proverbs is going to teach us that there's a type of fear that leads to wisdom. Now, it's not the type of fear that we're talking about here, where you feel like, I'm not in control of myself, I don't know what's going to happen, I'm afraid. But there's a different type of fear that the Bible talks about, and it's that type of fear that actually leads to wisdom. So I want to explore that today, and we see this when we go back to the first chapter of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. We're offered a bit of a thesis statement for where the whole book of Proverbs is headed, and here's what we read. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise knowledge and instruction. The book of Proverbs often teaches through a series of contrasts where they contrast this thing from this thing. So they say, you know, the wise people do this and the foolish people, they do that. Or those who follow God do this and those who don't follow God do that. Uh, the good people do this, the bad path is that. It's a book that teaches through contrasts. And so here we see another contrast where those who fear God are beginning on the path to wisdom. And those who do not fear God despise knowledge and instruction. This is the other type of fear that we're going to study today. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And how does fear of the Lord lead to wisdom? Well, thinking about fear of the Lord, that's a challenging concept for Christians because we're taught to love the Lord right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. We're taught that God is love, and that God wants to pour out God's grace and goodness into our lives. And so how do you fear someone you love? Well, I'd like to get to the bottom of this by studying a variety of different places in the Bible 
that talk about this very concept, that talk about that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Because I think if we are able to study a couple of different areas, we'll get a a much wider understanding of what it means to fear the Lord and how that leads to wisdom. So the first um, passage we're really going to dive into is, it actually comes from the Psalms. It's Psalm 33. And the psalmist is talking about how God created the world. And here is what he says. It says, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the seas its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. I want you to notice what I highlighted there, how the psalm begins. The Lord merely spoke, and boom, the world was created. That word merely implies a sense of ease in God creating, right? God simply spoke, and the heavens were created. I mean, creating the world as we know it, that was easy for God. Uh, God barely lifted a finger. He breathed, and all the stars in the galaxy were formed. All of this is something that God can do that we could never do. And yet, what the psalmist is saying is that God did it all easily. And so in response to that, in response to the ease in which God created the world as we know it, here's what the psalmist says next. So then let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The psalmist is saying, because of the ease of which God was able to create this whole world we live in, just by merely speaking, because of that ease, our only proper response is for the whole world to fear the Lord. Now, if he would have just stopped there with that statement, well then, that might be fearing the Lord like you might fear a king who's actually a tyrant. You know, you recognize the power of the king, but you're also afraid of the king because the king doesn't have your best interests at heart. And so if you're thinking about God and how easily God created this whole world we live in, But then you stop and just say, and so fear him. Well, I mean, yeah, you would recognize God's powerful, but that might not be a power that that you really love. You might respect it, but you're still afraid of it. So thankfully, I mean, he continues to go with this next line. So I want to see this one more time on the screen when it says, let the whole world fear the Lord and, and, Let everyone stand in awe of him. That's what I want us to narrow in on. Because this gives us a broader definition of what it means to fear the Lord. Here, the psalmist is equating awe with fearing the Lord. We are to stand in awe of God's might and God's power. So think about that concept of awe for a second. When's the last time that you were in awe? of something, that you just stood back in awe and wonder. I mean, I think of the birth of my children, where all of a sudden, I'm just holding this 
precious wonder of God that, that God has created and gifted to our family. And I mean, the only proper response there is to be filled with awe. I also think of what this church did this last year uh, to benefit its community in the midst of a global pandemic. As one of your pastors, I just sit back in awe and go, wow, Unity's done amazing things. Or on a smaller scale, I mean, think of the last time you saw a movie and you were, were fixated on the screen for the entire two hours and, and you were so invested and by the time the movie ended, you just kind of sat back in awe. Maybe a mini version of awe. To fear the Lord, what we're learning here from the psalm, to fear the Lord does not mean that you are afraid of God. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of your creator. So what does it, that word awe make you think of? What are some synonyms for that? Would it be reverence? Respect? admiration, amazement, these are the proper reactions we should have when approaching God. Again, when I was in high school, um, many youth groups began promoting something that they called Buddy Jesus. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember this, but Buddy Jesus was basically an action figure that you could buy, and many youth groups bought them, and they're like, look, here's Jesus. He's kind of like your buddy. The idea was that for youth, you should understand Jesus to be a good friend, someone that will go with you wherever you go. It's like, oh, Jesus is my buddy. Now, the downside of that is that if that's the only way you view God, you lose that sense of awe, don't you? You lose that sense of respect or reverence that the book of Proverbs is talking about here when we talk about fearing the Lord. And so perhaps if we're on the path to wisdom, we need to learn how do we balance these things? How do we balance a deep, personal relationship with a God who loves you, but also with approaching awe or approaching God with a sense of awe and reverence and respect, recognizing that God is, is so much more than we could ever wrap our minds around? Well, maybe to help, we can continue to explore what the scriptures say about fear of the Lord. So here's one more scripture. It comes from Proverbs chapter 14. The author of Proverbs says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Okay, so think about what we've learned so far about the fear of the Lord. We equate it with awe, with reverence, respect. So what would happen if you read these verses and you replaced that phrase, fear of the Lord, and you replaced it with awe? Well, it would look something like this. Whoever is in awe of God has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. This is getting us to contemplate in our own lives, where do you go for security? Where do you go when something's going wrong in your life? Or when you're feeling overwhelmed, where do you turn? Well, when you're in awe of God, you know exactly where to go. Because you know that human securities cannot compare to the security that comes when you go to God 
And, and when your children see you going to God in times of stress, in times of family stress, they learn to identify God as their refuge as well. So to fear the Lord, to be in awe of God, is to have a secure fortress that you can go to no matter what's happening in life. And he goes on, being in awe of God is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. You see here that Proverbs is continuing to teach through contrasts. And the contrast here is that a person who's in awe of God, who approaches God with that sense of of deep reverence, with respect about the way that God's created us and the world, what that feels like is a fountain of life flowing through you. What I hope you're seeing here is that the idea of awe is, is a really deep one that affects not only how we view God, but how we view this world that God has created. So I want to give you three images. And these images, I hope, will help us better encompass all that it means and looks like to approach God with awe. So let's see the first picture. So this picture, when I look at it, I see a little girl, and she's experiencing pure joy at the falling of leaves. I mean, you see the smile on her face. She is maybe throwing leaves up. Maybe the leaves are falling on her. You can't really tell, but she is completely immersed in that moment of exploring this creation that God has made. But what I want you to notice is that when you look at her face, when you look at her smile, what I really see there is a sense of awe and wonder right? A childlike way of approaching creation to say, wow, this is amazing. Like, God made all this, and I get to experience it. I mean, we lose some of that, don't we, as you age? Uh, It becomes a lot harder to impress us with anything. But what if we recapture that sense of exploring the world with, with a sense of awe and wonder, If you're able to recapture that, I believe that that leads you to a sense of joy. Yes, this, when we approach God with awe, what we're saying is that a part of that looks like approaching God with joy. The joy for the amazing world that God has made that we get to explore. Here's the second picture I want you to see. So this is the picture of the night sky. And it's a different sort of picture, isn't it? This is the awe that comes in realizing how small we are in comparison to the vastness of the universe. I mean, the universe that God made is immense. And we are just a tiny part of that. This should also fill us with awe. But it's a different sort of awe, isn't it? It's more of the respect that comes in comparing ourselves to God in, in looking up at that night sky and just saying, wow, wow, someone else made all this that I, <laughs> and I did not, and I'm in awe of that. Here's the third picture I want to show you. This is a picture of Charlotte, and this is a picture of a change in seasons. This obviously is spring, and so this sense of awe 
comes in noticing the little changes in seasons and to realize that you've done nothing to create those changes. I mean, you don't command the flowers to blossom. You don't command the birds to chirp. All of this is simply a gift from God. Our response then is to sit back in awe and gratitude. So you see these three pictures, and I I believe each picture points us to a sense of awe, but then also attaches almost a secondary emotion to those, help us fully explore what awe feels like. And the first picture of that, that little girl exploring the world, enjoying the leaves during fall, I mean, that's awe and joy. And we get to approach the world like that too, don't we? That second picture with the starry night, when you're looking up and realizing how small you are, that's, that's awe and respect. Respect for the God that made all of that. And the third picture of Charlotte with the spring flowers and the change of seasons that we've done nothing to create, that's just awe and gratitude. Gratitude for the world in which we get to live. I want to show you one more scripture. And this is the scripture that we're going to conclude this um, exploration of fear of the Lord with. It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's at the very end of the book. So this, uh, this author of Ecclesiastes, he's trying to explore the meaning of life. And in 12 chapters worth, he's saying, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And then finally, in the very last words of this book, he says, here's my conclusion. Here's what I believe the meaning of life really is. And here's what he says. He says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is what life is all about. Yes, after doing the the whole exploration, and after writing that entire book, that was his summary conclusion. Fear God. Obey God's commandments. The author believes that that's how you'll find most meaning in your life, is if you embrace those two concepts, awe and obedience. So I really want us to understand that the beginning of this path of wisdom is to recognize our proper place in the world in relationship to God. And our proper place is to fear the Lord. But when we say that, it does not mean that you are afraid of God. But to fear the Lord is instead to approach God with a sense of awe and joy and gratitude and respect recognizing what God can do that we could never do. Yes, those who fear God are not afraid. Those who fear God are not afraid of God. It's not like you have a picture of God as this menacing, you know, sense of dread every time you're thinking of God. And those who fear God are not afraid of life either. They recognize that life is going to come at you from time to time, and you're going to experience the other type of fear as well, but that you have a creator that is still in control. Yes, so to fear God, that's people who are not afraid of God or of life, but recognize that God is in control of everything, and that we then get to live in understanding of that, in relationship with that. So, may we walk through this week and this life 
with more of a sense of awe, of wonder, of amazement of the type of world that God has allowed us to live in. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.